ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So it's another Books of the Year podcast. This is our questionnaire section. Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan's book is Mad Honey. Uh, we discussed their book in great uh, depth in our uh, previous podcast. But here comes uh, the Q&A. Uh, so first of all, um, to both of you, what is the last book that you really, really enjoyed reading? And as I always say, the second really is working very hard. This is not just a, that was quite good. The last book you really enjoyed reading. Jennifer, do you want to go first? Um, George Saunders, uh, as, as, what is it, a short swim in a pond in the rain is uh, his, uh, it's like, well, it's a, a introduction to short stories by four um, Russian writers. Uh, and if you, th- it, I mean, m- my first thought when I heard about Russian writers, I thought, yeah, okay, next. But turns out it's like having the kindest, wisest creative writing professor Ever walk you through what happens in a story? Uh, uh, he starts with Chekhov, um, and then on to Tolstoy and Gogol. There's and there's just a way. It's a really book for writers in particular, because he shows you um, what's going on on the page, what are readers thinking as you read a story, and how to how that affects the way we construct stories. Uh, I just thought it was the most delightful book. A short swim in a pond in the rain. Jody. I have the orthogonal answer to this because you picked like the most literary text ever. And I was, uh, I read a book that is not out yet. It's by Allie Hazelwood and it is Love Theoretically. And it it's the second really that's making me say this okay. because I was asked to blurb it. And I think I read it after we finished a full month of the U.S. tour when my brain was like oatmeal. And I... Uh-huh literally had a smile on my face the entire time I was reading it. It is light, it's fizzy, it's funny, it's smart, it's written by a woman who is like, she's like a physicist or a neuroscientist who happens to write novels on the side. And so uh, it was just a delight, a delight. How many books do you do you both read for pleasure in a month? So obviously, I, right now I'm probably reading more for pleasure than I am for for, for work. Um, during the summer, it's nuts for work. I'm getting through like thirty a week. But for for now, the, the only books I'm reading are the books I'm reading because I want to. What about for you? For on a sort of regular month, how many will you get through? Probably between three and four, but it, there are some months that are very blurb heavy. 
if you know what I mean. So, yeah. not, I, I'm, I'm not revealing anything here, but there are some authors, frankly, who offer blurbs who might not have read the book. Mm. But you, every book you I, offer the blurb for, you read. I would never no, do that. You can't never. Do that. Um, and, you know, then there are the people who send you a book and they're like, here's the synopsis. Will you blurb it? And I'm like, no. Um, I, and I won't ever tell someone that uh, I don't like a book. I won't give them a nasty blurb. But what I would just do is say, I'm so sorry, I didn't have the time. But I do try to do as much as I can because I remember how much that helped me when I was starting out. And yeah. it's nice to lift people up. I, I read in two different ways. I read uh, for I read books um uh, for 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 pleasure, and those maybe two or three a month. But I also have books that are difficult that sometimes I have somehow managed to avoid in in my life up till now. And I know you know you kind of need to get to that. Um, so um, every other summer for the last um, ten years, I've read a volume of Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past. Um, and uh, this in English can, or the original French? <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> if it was the French, wouldn't it? Uh, I can only take it once every other year, uh, but uh, so I do that in the summer. So for me, in the summer is when I tend to read the hard books. Uh, and so now I've 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 gotten through five of the seven. Um, this fall, um, uh, after um, Sir Salman Rushdie was attacked, I started reading um, rereading Satanic Verses because. I just I couldn't even remember what that book was about and why should this be the book that has you know created uh, the fatwa upon him and resulted now in 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 this terrible attack on him which is not just an attack on him but an, an attack on all writers including Jody Picot and me uh people who write books that are challenging and controversial uh and I I can tell you uh since since uh, the summer, uh, I've been in a couple of events, including one with um, Margaret Atwood uh, this summer, where we authors had to be guarded by, um, well, they were they weren't police, but they were they were security, they were, yeah, security, uh, in order to get us from one place to the other. We are we are all under attack. So I read I read Satanic Verses, which is really hard to tell you the truth, um, really funny at times, but I thought to myself, you know, this is your responsibility as a member of the literary community to, to, to read this. So I read Satanic Verses and I'm delighted that I did, but I was also delighted when it was time to get back to something that was not quite so challenging. <laughs> I, I cannot believe we wrote a book together sometimes. You're in the summer what, reading that I'm Proust. I'm impossible? And, no, you're reading Proust and I'm reading YA fantasy during the summer. It's just wild. <laughs> it's, it's really so far apart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question next from our best uh, from best-selling author Joanne Harris. This came in to us uh, as a voice note. Here it is. Hello, Simon and Matt and Jennifer and Jody. This is Joanne Harris, and I've just finished the book, and I'm really, really enjoying thinking about the questions that I'm going to ask you. And the one that really leaps to mind is is it's about bees and honey. Uh, the the whole concept of Honey and bees is kind of running through the, the book. There's something there, I think, about sweetness and escape and also about how people live in individual cells and mm. how they communicate from those cells and how much of each other they perceive and, and how little of each other they perceive, actually. So what I'd like to ask, really, is, is what made you start on the idea of honey? And thank you, too, for the concept of mad honey, which I didn't know about at all and which, which got me falling down a bit of a rabbit hole of information. What made honey the, the linking metaphor for you in this book? 
A classic authorly question with a, a lot of preamble before we get to the, to the actual question. I mean, you, 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 we, we should I've say... I've talked about bees you, a little you, bit, You yeah. have talked about it uh, in, in our other podcast, but just yeah. on the off chance that Joanne is listening to this bit. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because it wasn't honey that that came to mind first. It, w- it was bees and, you know, the honey was, well, the byproduct. But, you know, it. I think that more so than the idea of... of honey and the idea you know of course in mad honey that something that's sweet could actually be very dangerous for you what was important to me was that every single member of a hive has a very important job i mean even the lazy drones you know to be fair have a job um and that you cannot you cannot have a hive function if everyone is not doing their job. When you go, when you get your beehive, because I really hope you do one day, <laughs> when you open up that beehive and you look at a comb, you pull out the comb because you're always looking for the queen to make sure she's laying brood. When you do that, you're seeing a city. It's kind of like looking down on a city. It is the most amazing thing to watch. And I think that that's what struck me the most, the democracy of bees and how they function together in spite of differing opinions. So what I would say to Joanne is one of my favorite democratic facts is that she um that when a a new when several new queens are are in the same space they used to think that they just go out and kill each other and now they see that they kind of go around like politicians shaking hands going hi let me kiss your baby and the be- the queen that convinces the most people uh, or the most bees, I'm sorry, to her side, is the one that winds up taking over the hive, which is really cool. We have time for one uh, final question from Matt. Just pick one of those. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you work best with deadlines? But to, to both of you, do you work best with deadlines? Um, I do. Uh, and, and part of this is just my history as a as a journalist and a, a, I, as a columnist, uh, opinion uh, columnist for the New York Times, that when it's due, it's due. And uh, there's something about that. Although I don't think I, I don't think anyone's best work comes uh, at the last possible second with a, with an air of desperation. Like I like to know when is when is the deadline, when is it due, and I work toward that. So not only so that it can be in on time, but so that I have a chance before the deadline to do another draft. Because mm-hmm. I'm definitely a writer who needs to find out the truth of something on the page, and um, I'm a great. Um, uh, reviser. I like to do things four and five times before. There's an old E.M. Forrester quote about how do I know what I think until I see what I say. And um, uh, Jody definitely can can do a lot of this work in her head. Maybe she has a better memory than I do, but I, I really need to see it on the page. And, and it's worth saying uh, on behalf of all of the um, revisers out there that it's, it's not only a good way to to, to be on the page. It's a good way to live your life that none of us is. And again, as a transgender woman, my uh, situation is perhaps um, specific, but it's not unique, which is to say all of us need to go through another draft as we live our lives. Um, and who's to say when you, when you're done and if you don't like your life, you, you have the chance to, rewrite your life to um, become a better self with with a little luck and with a little courage. And it is never too late to become yourself. And with a little luck and a little honey and the right kind of dreams, and Jodi Picot is your friend, you can make it happen. 
So, so the same question on deadlines to you, Jodie, just finally. I have never written without a deadline, but because I am both a control freak and a straight-A student and an overachiever, I also always finish way before my deadline. I don't like having it hanging over I my I think head. we had this book do, done two, like, years. two years early. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Jodie Pico, Jennifer Finney Boylan, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Mad Honey is published by Hodder and Stoughton. It's out now. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email at any time books of the year at yahoo.com and you can follow us on Instagram, which is a brand really? new thing. I didn't even know until now that you can do that. Uh, we are at pick any page. That's pick any page on Instagram. Okay. Okay. We're learning something as we go along. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.